Our scripture reading this morning is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 to 17. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Adam. If you are a guest with us this morning, uh, online or here, uh, we are uh, we're in a series on sharing our faith, on telling others about Christ. And one of my uh, main strategies here, one of my main goals, is to help you overcome the more common obstacles to sharing your faith. Let's face it these obstacles are very real. Like, I think, I'm working from the assumption that every believer, every follower of Christ has something inside of them that wants to tell others about Jesus. And so that's inside of you, uh, and, and yet these obstacles keep us from voicing our faith to others. So I want to talk about some of those throughout the series, and today I want to talk to you about something we all struggle with, whether you're a Bible study teacher a community group leader, a pastor, a missionary, a brand new follower of Christ who's recently been baptized, doesn't matter. Every one of us, we're all struggling with, with fear. As Pastor Chuck prayed, fear is so real. It's crippling. And it stops us in our tracks. It keeps us from acting on this God-given desire because we know grace is not just for us. We know that. It's never just for us. But it, something keeps us. Well, fear keeps us from acting on this desire to talk to others about his mercy and his grace. So I want to talk to you today about overcoming fear in gospel conversations. Overcoming fear in, in gospel talk. Um, let me give you some context in 2 Corinthians 5. So 2 Corinthians 5 is one of the classic passages on personal evangelism. Uh, one of the classic passages, in fact, in your Bible, it's probably titled The Ministry of Reconciliation. The, the classic, one of the classic texts on us telling others what God has done for us in Christ. And Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, which was struggling, as you know, with worldly influence, internal division, and trusting him as an apostle. There were internal detractors of Paul who were fostering like a sustained suspicion of his leadership as an apostle. And 
And so there's a lot going on in First and Second Corinthians. In this section of the letter, Paul grounds his answer to their suspicion of him. He grounds his reply. He's got this long, basically sustained reply throughout the letter. You can trust me as an apostle. That's what he's trying to say. He grounds this section of the letter as he addresses their suspicion in the gospel itself. It's a beautiful expression of the hope of Christ and the ministry of reconciliation. And in the midst of all this, he teaches us a couple of things about fear in gospel conversation, fear that keeps us from telling our story. So let me give you two unhealthy fears this morning, and then I have a third point. The first unhealthy fear is what people think of me. The second is what I think of the world. I want to talk to you about what people think of me first and then what I think of the world. Both of those can be really unhealthy competing fears. Number one, what, what people think of me. Look at verse 11. Paul begins here in chapter 5, verse 11, saying, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Paul begins with a right kind of fear, a worshipful, awe-inspiring, reverent fear of God. The fear, the, the fear comes to mind because just before, in verse 10, he had gotten to the judgment seat of Christ. And so he's got the judgment seat of Christ in mind, like this big end times kind of picture and, and then he makes his transition into the ministry of reconciliation by saying, therefore, knowing the fear of God, we want to persuade others. We want to persuade others to know Christ and live for him so that one day they can bow before his judgment seat with integrity and obedience and worship because one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And just So Paul has in mind this this sense of how people are supposed to live before the throne of God. And that's a beautiful, good, healthy, awe-inspiring fear. So knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. And yet Paul is also keenly aware that there are other competing fears, incapacitating fears, crippling fears that, that keep us from voicing to other people the most important thing about our lives. It's crazy, but it shouldn't, it shouldn't be that way, but it is. And the competing fear that he has in mind in verses 11 through 13 is the fear of man. It's the fear of man. And we know this because the issue of people-pleasing and posturing and needing the approval of others has been a very real struggle for the people in the Corinthian church. The same could be said of us. Paul is here reminding us that we've got to learn how to live first for the audience of one. We need to fear God and not the opinions of others. I will never learn to freely speak the way Paul does in this section of, of 2 Corinthians 5. Never freely speak about the gospel if I care more about what people think about me than what God thinks of me. 
Like, if I care too much about what people think, I will be crushed under the weight of their criticism. The fear of that crushing weight, uh, the, the crushing weight of their criticism, will just, it'll just immobilize me. Or, on the other hand, I'll love to hear the approval of men and, and the opinions of man, and, and I'll live for the praise of other people. And that's equally crushing. Because when it doesn't come, you're like, where's my identity? So look again at verses 11 through 13. He says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are, who we are, and what we are is known to God. I hope it'll also be known to your conscience. Did you love the way that Paul makes a defense for himself? He's not really defending himself. He's defending the gospel. We're not commending ourselves to you again. It would be common in this day to uh, to commend yourself in a formal way. And he says, we're not commending ourselves to you again, but we're giving you cause to, it says to, the ESV says to boast about us, but what he means is we're giving you cause to trust our, who we are and what we're saying we're doing as apostles. So that you might be able to answer those who boast about the outward appearance and not what is in the heart because the suspicion that's being driven from within the Corinthian church is, is grounded in the appearance of outward things and not the heart, as Paul says. The steadiness of the Apostle Paul to stay on target, focused on Christ and his gospel in the midst of massive church conflict, was nothing short of miraculous. Look at what he's doing. Paul's essentially saying, my authority as an apostle doesn't come from me. It comes from Christ and his gospel. What you think of me personally is far less important to me than what Jesus thinks of me. And that gave him a freedom. Not to go around, run around, hitting people over the head with his Bible, right? That'd be the Hebrew scriptures. The New Testament hadn't been written yet, right? He wasn't doing that. He was just finding his freedom in Christ. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, living under this audience of one, we persuade others. I hope you will understand our perspective, he says. But we're not really commending ourselves to you. We're commending the, an integrity of life and ministry that comes from Jesus himself from a life-changing gospel. So he says, I'm just, I can't live based on what people think of me. And that's absolutely freeing for Paul. And it'll be freeing for you. It'll be freeing for me if we are grounded in who Christ is and what he has done for us. So, so the first thing that I think, the first freedom you can find in the gospel is, is a freedom from this fear of what other people think of you. Secondly, Paul models for us um, how not to be enslaved by what I think of the world. Now, this might seem a little bit counterintuitive, but now stay with me. There's a fear here in verse 16, a fear that's tied to what I think of the world. Look at verse 16, see if you can find it. From now on, verse 16, therefore we regard no one according to the flesh. What's the fear at work here? From now on, uh, the NIV reads, from now on we don't see people from a worldly point of view. 
We no longer, from now on, we no longer see people from a worldly perspective. What's the fear that's at work here? Jesus talked about it all the time in the Gospels. It's the fear of being rejected by the world. That's a very real fear. The fear of not measuring up. The fear of being judged or made fun of. The fear of not having the right shoes or being able to afford or wear a certain haircut. The fear of not going to the best college. The fear of not being on the best travel team. We are, we are crippled, we are incapacitated by a fear of living outside of the world's boundaries. And Paul says something happened to him that freed him from the world's power over him. And that is what Christianity will help you with, by the way. That's one of the many things Christianity will help you with, is learning how to live free of the world's power and influence. And that's what Paul's got working in verse 16. Afraid to live outside of the world's values, crippled by it, until we meet Christ. And then when we meet Christ, look at, look at verse 16 again. Three massive words. The, the verse begins with three, they're little words, but they're massive in their, in their significance. From now on. Did you see those three? We kind of we scooted right past them. Look at those three words. From now on, he says. From now on, therefore, we don't, we don't think about the world or those who live in the world. We don't think about worldly life the same. From now on, what Paul's saying is from the cross of, the cross of Jesus Christ has just turned the world upside down. We're going to come back to that in, in verses 14 to 15 in just a second. But his expression from now on is tied directly to the gospel, tied directly to the cross. So, so from now on, the, the cross of Christ has turned the world upside down, not for the world, but for us. So we no longer see things like we used to see things. We're no longer enslaved to the world's values. We're no longer enslaved to the world's metrics. We're no longer enslaved to see people according to to the flesh. We regard no, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. We, we, we don't see people from a worldly point of view. First Corinthians chapter one, go all the way back to first Corinthians chapter one. For consider your calling, my brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chooses what is weak in the world to shame the strong, what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no person might boast in the presence of God. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord, he says. Famous passage from chapter one of the first letter. Jesus has freed Paul from the fear of what the world thinks of him. That is gospel freedom. When you can start living apart from the influence of the world, you are experiencing gospel freedom. So anyone who is 
So anyone who's in Christ, he says, is a new creation. He no longer lives according to the old fears. And, and Paul lived enslaved, right? I'm a, tri- I'm a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee of the Pharisee. As it, as it, as it comes to the law, keeping the law perfectly, like having even in his own religious world, right? There's a religious worldliness. Paul discovered there is a worldliness that loves to live inside of religion. And he says, man, I, am, I have been freed from that. I don't have to be a tribe member. I don't have to be a great Pharisee anymore. How absolutely amazingly freeing must it have been for Paul to discover I don't have to be a Pharisee anymore. I don't have to perfect myself. And the same is true of us. We can discover from now on, I don't need the religious world's affirmation. I don't need the, world, the world's affirmation, just in terms of worldliness. I can tell others what Christ means to me with freedom and joy. So this, is, this is really tricky, but listen, listen for this. I can tell others what Christ means to me with freedom and joy without becoming a judge over their worldliness. Because there is a danger here for Christians. And we just, a word of caution, freedom in Christ is never so you can judge the world. God will judge the world. God is judging the world. He will judge the world. You and I don't judge the world. There's a beautiful freedom that will come in taking the gospel to the world without standing in judgment over them, without creating us versus them. I've met enough Christians who are self-appointed judges of the world that I don't want to be one. Paul, listen, Paul's navigating this amazing spot where he's not living enslaved to what the world thinks of him, nor over here is he a self-appointed judge over the world. He's navigating between these two things. Uh, I don't live enslaved to the influence of the world, and I'm not standing in judgment over them. I have a freedom to bring the gospel message of Christ to them, and I want to do it in a way that, that would really be compelling. And so he's like, I... I can't commend myself. I can't stand, you know, I, I hope what, it, what we are is known to God. I hope you will see that. I hope you will see that. And then here's the, here's the thing that uh, makes it all work. Number three. So the first two are unhealthy competing fears. What people think of me is crippling. What I think of the world can be crippling. But what can move me from fear to a place of freedom? What's the thing that I need, I need to motivate and move and, and get me to this place of freedom to talk about Christ? Right, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about discovering a freedom that allows me to talk to other people about Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done for me. What is this thing that's gonna move me from fear to freedom? It's in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ drives us. 
The love of Christ motivates us. Um, I think Paul has in mind not just energy and motivation, but also control and direction. So both of those thoughts are mingled in here. So that's why you see translations uh, choosing either control or um, uh, compulsion, right? So it's, 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 it's the power that's driving and it's also giving direction and controlling and it's the love of God, it's the love of Christ that moves us from fear of gospel conversations to freedom in them. From nervousness about what would I say to a delight and freedom. You're never going to verbalize your faith. I've I found this to be true. I, I, never vow, I, I never verbalize my faith when I'm in this fearful moment. It just, I just, it's just too hard, so you just back up. You back out. On the other hand, Finish this sentence. Perfect love casts out fear. Right? Perfect love casts out fear. Love is driving this. Love. So Paul, not surprisingly, says, verse 14, for the love of Christ is driving us and controlling us and, and moving us. Did you notice at the end of verse 12, back up to the end of verse 12, it's, it's just tucked in there quietly. Uh, he uses heart language at the end of verse 12. not about what, what's in the heart, because for Paul, Christianity is about all about what's happening in the heart. Paul says, my critics in the Corinthian church boast in appearances. They love earthly status, worldly honor, physical appearance, superficial, veneer stuff. But, but God looks on the heart. And it's in the heart that the love of God has been poured out. So, Verse 13, if the world thinks we're crazy, right? Are you guys outside of your mind? Are you crazy? If the world thinks we're not in our right mind, they're right. Because love makes us do crazy things. Love drives us to do, do things that to the other person who's outside of the situation might look into and say, that's irrational. Happens all the time in life. All the time. Paul says, look, if we're outside of our minds, <laughs> if we look like we're crazy, you're right, but it's for you that we're doing this. Yeah. When you're captivated by Christ and, and the fear of the Lord and the love of Jesus Christ really gets a hold of you, you're going to stop being debilitated. You're, you're going you're to see an overcoming of fear you're going to find freedom the problem is you've been trying to fix the fear by yourself you've been trying to just say oh you can power through it you should just do it because you know you should do it and there's no love in that you should just you should tell people about jesus it's your duty to tell people of jesus right we stood for years and listened to preachers tell us it's your duty to tell people about jesus yelling at us and we didn't feel the love. And you didn't go out and tell anybody about Jesus and see him come to Christ. You're like, man, I, that's either for the deacons or the pastors. I can't do that. And the reason you can't do it is because you're not driven by love. Like the thing you love the most, I'm telling you, listen to me please this morning. The thing you love the most is what's driving you. 
That's why you keep coming back to the thing you do want to talk about. I just don't like to talk about my faith. It's a private, personal thing. Man, that's not true. You talk about what you love to talk about. I talk about what I love to talk about. That's what Paul's saying. The way to move from fear to freedom is to discover that the love of Christ, and then he goes into this, the most succinct, one of, one of the most succinct and beautiful summaries of the gospel in the Bible. It's in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us because here's how it works. When he says, for we've concluded thus, he just means we connected the dots. We, we see how it all fits together. That one has died for all, and therefore all died. All should have died because, right, justly all of humanity was condemned due to sin. So, so Christ, so one has died for all, therefore all have died. This is shorthand for the substitutionary atonement of Jesus. The, the, the atonement of Christ, he died in my place. He didn't have to, but he chose to. I had to. He makes it possible that I don't. Therefore, so here, here's what he says. The, he summarizes the gospel. One has died for all, and therefore all have died. Just as in Adam all die, in Christ all have died, identifying with his death for them so that they might find resurrection life. And verse 15 says, and live for the one who was raised. Now, why would you live for the one who was raised? Just because God did something for you? Yes, but it's more than that because the love of Christ controls us. Love is living for what interests you the most. Love is living for the best interest of someone else. And you can decide whether or not you love Christ based on whether or not you live for him who died and rose for you. That's what Christians are. Christianity is about people who've discovered a new way of life, a new purpose for living, a new ultimate driving force. Look at this again in verse 15. Look at the driving love force at work here. To live no longer for myself. I love to live for myself. My self-interest and my self-love has been driving me no longer. No longer living for self, Paul says. This sounds a lot like Philippians 2, doesn't it? No longer going to live for myself, but for him who for my sake died and was raised. The new driving factor for my life, which is going to take me from fear to freedom, the new love of my life, the person I love the most more than anything else in the world, the person that I love the most more than anything else in the world is, fill in the blank, is Jesus Christ. And that will move me from fear to freedom because we love him. That's what Paul says. Paul's describing gospel in love terms. True love is less about an emotive feeling and more about acting in the best interest of the person you claim to love. In this sense, the love of Christ controls us. It's training us away from self-interest. It's driving us toward the glory of God. So the love of Christ controls us in that it doesn't let us spin off into self-interest and, and, and self-love and all these other things. 
It's driving us toward. So verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. Paul's saying, I'm, I'm one, at one time I made fun of who Jesus was. But I don't do that anymore. Therefore, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and everything has become new. We're going to dig into this past. We're going we're to pick up here next week and dig into 16, 17, and 18 in part two next week. But let me, let me just say it again so you can hear it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. He has new loves. He has new reasons to live. The old has passed away and the new has come. I watched the presidential debate this week and it reminded me that no matter what your political leanings, I'm curious, how many of you saw the debate? At least, at least three quarters of it. Okay, several of you, good. Watching the debate reminded me that no matter what our political leanings might be, it's easy to forget that the single greatest hope for change, personal, societal, cultural change, is the transformation of the human heart by Jesus. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, and God is making all things new starting with, with me, right? You should get out and vote. You should be registered to vote. We should get out and vote, and we should pray for unity in our divided country. But even more than this, listen, even more than that, we should leverage this moment for gospel conversations. Not political conversations, gospel conversations. And this week, when you sense a conversation brewing, when you sense a political conversation brewing, this is happening all the time right now, right? Pray at that moment that the Lord would, would use you with a sense of humility and, and just the right attitude. And then say something like this. Yeah, I, I hear you. This is a really tense, tense moment in our culture. And this, is ele this election is serious. But what, what it's reminding me of more than anything else is how lasting change is going to come from one person to another through the gospel of Christ. I, I would love to tell you what Jesus means to me. Not how Jesus is informing my voting. I would love to tell you how, what Jesus means to me and what he's done to change my heart. Don't be afraid to tell people what Christ means to you. Listen, I, I am concerned that we are so freely we're so free to talk about politics and we're just not even willing to voice a conversation about who Jesus is. We're popping off all over the place with regard to politics. But we, we can't muster up enough courage to say, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that's really going to bring lasting change. Here, I want to tell you about something that, that could bring lasting change personally for us and for our society and, and go into the, a conversation about Jesus. Now, is there going to be an explosion? Yes. With certain people, there's going to be an explosion. 
Make sure you wear your PPE. But why not? What are you waiting for? Yes, you could say, yes, we long, yes, yes, I long for, for the gospel to reform national problems. Abortion, sex trafficking, poverty, fatherless America, drug abuse, racism, immigration. All these are really complicated, deep issues. Yes, we long for the gospel to reform national problems. But I need to, to never forget that the gospel is what brings lasting, ultimate change in my life personally. The gospel of Jesus is the only cure for the rude, selfish, bitter, angry, prideful, sarcastic person. Those things, unfortunately, were very much on display in a presidential debate. The gospel is the only cure for us. Verse 17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. That is a word of hope for us this morning. If anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. I want to pray for us that God would help us to act, not in fear, but with courage and humility to talk about Jesus right now. So will you pray with me? Let's pray that God will give us the courage and the freedom to speak about Him. Lord, we pray today that what is in us as believers would be able to come out in a caring, loving, winsome, compelling, personal way that we as believers would not be so quick to talk about some things and so hesitant to talk about the most important thing that's ever happened to us. Help us. Lord, grant that the love of Christ would control us and motivate us and drive us. Protect us from being filled with pride. Protect us from judging the world. Protect us from acting like we have all the answers. And fill us with your spirit and with the humility of Christ so that we could have the courage and the freedom to tell others, man, he's changed me from, he's made me new. And I needed a new life because of these things. Help us to have the freedom to speak hope into this present moment. We pray it in Christ's name, amen.